stories of innovation and success from the vibrant communities of rural Nova Scotia. This is Ignited. Hey there, welcome to Ignited, the podcast. I'm Wade Cleveland. I work for a rural innovation hub called Ignite, and I'm here to tell you some great small town and rural success stories. And on this episode, we're going to get a little weird. We're going to get all X-Files at you as we talk about an incident in the small southwest Nova Scotia village of Shag Harbor in 1967 involving the crash of an unidentified flying object. Now, Now stay with me here. Weird, yes, but still something that fits into the economic ecosystem because tourism is an industry that we're building here in rural Nova Scotia. And that's just what we're talking about, whether you are a believer in UFOs or not. Tens of thousands of tourists head to Roswell, New Mexico every year for their UFO festival in July and other times of the year, too. Their McDonald's, that's right, McDonald's, is built like a spaceship. There's Area 51 in Nevada who has an entire industry of UFO and alien-themed businesses up and down what they call the extraterrestrial highway. Utah has a successful UFO festival in Cedar City. There's even a Bigfoot barbecue festival every year in Pennsylvania. My guest is Danny Reed, by day a Yarmouth-based investment retirement planner for a major bank. He's the driving force behind an event planned for October 1st and 2nd, 2022 in Yarmouth, the Shag Harbor UFO Expo. XPO 2022. Now, there have been small gatherings in Shag Harbor for years, but this time, Danny and his group are swinging for the fences, bringing in celebrity UFO researchers, yep, there's such a thing, and best-selling authors, and offering a full tour of the crash site, among other things. Danny, thanks for joining me on Ignited the Podcast. Uh, Thank you, Wade. Let's talk about the incident itself. Let's start there. October 4, 1967. Yeah. So tell me what happened. Um, yeah, so I wasn't one of the witnesses. I'm a bit too young for that. But um, since I've been involved with the uh, society, yeah, I've come to hear the story a few times. So that was a very cool, clear October night. And there were many witnesses. Um, some of the key people, um, what they recall seeing was a low-flying craft. Everybody that saw it that evening thought it was an airplane. People thought they saw a low-flying aircraft. There was four lights and one would come on, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one, in the sequence. Then they all would go out. And in hindsight, thinking about it, most people realize it did seem to be flying a little bit slower than, let's say, a normal aircraft. So one of the key witnesses, Lori Wickens, who's the president of the society, he was 17 at the time, and he was driving with some friends in a vehicle. They're driving down the road, and they see this craft again flying. And again, there are fishermen that have seen it. There was uh, pilots in an airliner that saw it as well. But they see this craft flying, and all of a sudden, it starts descending at about a 45-degree angle. And... From Lori's vantage point, they were just going up over a hill. It basically went down out of eyesight for them down behind the tree line. When they come up over the top of the hill, they see the craft floating out in the water. And they thought, my gosh, a plane has gone down. So they went to the nearest phone booth. This is back in 67. There's no cell phones, right? So, <laughs> so they go to the phone booth. And again, Lori's 17 with a couple friends. And just telling it through Lori's eyes. And they phoned the RCMP to report a down plane. And first thing the RCMP said, well, what have you been drinking to Lori? Because they're kids, right? Anyway, Lori says nothing, but it was taken seriously. The RCMP did come out. And at the end of, I guess, at the point before the craft disappeared into the water, there's about 30 people standing there looking at this craft out in the water. I think the lights at that point were still on. 
Um, everybody was reporting, again, as a plane crash. There were folks going to wake up fishermen to get their boats out to go do kind of a rescue mission. The Coast Guard was called. I really don't know the timeline, but again, we definitely have a craft that was visible, descends down, it's now floating on the water. Boats are heading out to it. By this time, the craft had sunk. And there's stories of nothing there but this green foam floating on the water. And you can have sea foam, but they said this had a green tinge to it and it had kind of an oily feel. But there was no floating debris, there was nothing. So up until that point, it was still being reported as what might be a suspected plane crash. Um, within a day or two, they had the Coast Guard, they had the Canadian military and the U.S. military on site doing dive missions trying to find out what had gone down. And the official government report was, in fact, that something did enter the water, something did sink down into the water, but nothing was ever found. So there's nothing recovered. So therein lies the mystery. And I've had people take me aside and say, well, you know, Danny, was it a flare? Was it this? Was it that? You know, you've met these people, you've talked to them. And without a doubt, it wasn't those things. You had uh, natural resources officers in the woods uh, kind of camping out for deer, jackers that time of year. They saw it. I think there was at least three RCMP officers on the shore. They saw it. You had fishermen out in the water who are very familiar with flares, low-flying planes, whatever, in the Bay of Fundy. They saw it. And it was definitely a craft of some type. The lights came on. The lights all went off. It went down at a 45-degree angle. It went into the water. So... You know, without getting into UFOs, in my mind, it was either some very top-secret military craft or it was maybe a UFO, which is really cool to think about. Mm -hmm. But it's the only government documented, and I'll mention one other thing here in a minute, it's the only government documented UFO crash in the world. So that doesn't mean aliens, doesn't mean little green men, but it is on record that something entered the water, something was definitely seen, it wasn't a flare, it wasn't something, it wasn't the moon shining off the water. It happened, it landed, it crashed, and even to this day, 2022, there's nothing that we know of that can both fly and maneuver underwater. Right. So therein lies the mystery again. Was it something that was top secret military and it was recovered and nothing was ever said about it and they let the public think it was a UFO? It seems a little advanced for 1967. You think there might be something or somebody would have saw something being pulled up? I mean, mm -hmm. that would be a pretty big craft. It was big. I think it was 30, 40 feet long. That's the story as I know it. I've read a couple books. There's a little maybe more details, but um, it goes all the way back actually to Halifax. Folks in Halifax seen it flying as well. So it came all the way down the coastline, rather slowly flying, lights coming on, going off, descending at 45 degrees, landing, sitting on the water 15, 20 minutes, and then sinking. End of story. Other than what was it? That's the mystery. The government acknowledged that it was a UFO, as in unidentified yeah. flying object, yeah. and it was never explained off in any way, shape, or form. In any way, shape, or form. And Chris Stiles, who's a member of the Society and is going to be a member of our expo uh, this year, he's done a ton of research. And, it, and reading the books, I'm not here to sell the books, but when I read them, very fascinating in that it's in the Canadian archives, that it's documented by the Canadian Coast Guard, by the Canadian military, and by the Canadian government that... Something tangible for real entered the water, was never recovered. Uh, it was actually the Chronicle Herald the next day that put a headline, something to the effect of, you know, Shag Harbor, UFO mystery, there could be something to this. That's something I think what the headline said. They're the ones that define it as UFO. And that's when people really got thinking aliens and whatever. And that could very well be what it is, right? Again, that's where the intrigue lies. 
Um, back to your statement there, lately with what the Pentagon has come out with, with these UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, they're kind of acknowledging, which makes all of this that much even more interesting. They're acknowledging that they're seeing craft in the air that they can't identify. And I suppose that's them acknowledging that. But as far as written, documented case, we have the only case in the world. And it's the event that happened in Shag Harbor, which is pretty cool. And it's here, you know? It's right in our doorstep. It, it is kind <laughs> it of is. amazing to think about. Yeah, yeah. Now, a big deal was made of it to a degree. But a big deal was never made of it. This never became our Roswell or Area Correct. 51, if yeah. you will. Yeah. But at the point where it was acknowledged that it was that, when I was a kid, I heard about it. You and I are of the mm-hmm. same age group, mm-hmm. you know, who were born and raised with Star Wars. And then, yeah. of course, you went exactly. to Close Encounters of the yep. Third Kind, yep. ultimately the X-Files. And you think about yep. this stuff. And whether it's real or not, right. it's very cool. And worth looking at. Like, it's enjoyable. Yeah, I've always been intrigued. And, and since I've got involved with this, people ask, you know, what's where's the curiosity coming from? Or what's your fascination with it? Or why would you be involved? But exactly to those points, I was born in 65. And again, we're the same, same age. But I grew up with the moon landings. I grew up with the Apollo rockets, Skylab. You know, I had all the models when I was a kid. And I've always been fascinated with space and science. And I've never... I don't remember ever in my life walking aside and not looking up and just wondering. And that's where the mystery and the intrigue is for me, the wondering. Um, I remember my parents, you know, they let me walk home from school when the space shuttle was going to land or take off. I'd leave school early and have permission from my mom and dad to leave and go home. And I've just always been into that. And I've always looked at the stars and kind of wondered, right? And the crazy thing is, if I can say that, as as we've entered now into 2022 and I'm 57, I think this is becoming more, a little bit more mainstream lately with what the U.S. is uncovering, or what they're admitting to. And this stuff has been going on for years. The more you read about it, it goes way, way back. Um, abductions, people seeing stuff on nuclear missile silos, um, just really, really neat. So to your point, and, and Chris will say this, I think as Canadians, we kind of kind of shrug things off. We don't really pat ourselves on the back or brag much about our accomplishments or whatever. But when you take what Roswell, what happened there, the whole world knows about it. And I think the Shag Harbor incident is bigger in the States than it really is actually right in our backyard. Like we just kind of brush it off as, oh yeah, something crashed. And now I got to go to work tomorrow or whatever. You just don't really take it in or think about what it actually was that happened. So we've never made that big of a deal about it locally. We've never really promoted it or even tried to make people aware of it. Yet people that travel from all over the world, those that go to the museum in Shag Harbor, first of all, they probably they already know a bit about it. But when they get into it and kind of research it a bit, they're like, my gosh, this really is Canada's Roswell. Like this is a big deal. And why aren't we making a bigger deal of it? I guess, why aren't more people aware of it? And again, I think there's a large segment of the world that is, but I also think there's a large, especially locally, that really is pretty low-key about it. Yeah, and if we don't make a big deal out of something, then no one else will because, again, Roswell, you've showed me pictures of the McDonald's uh, that uh, looks like a UFO. They make a big deal out of it. 
Uh, tell me about the convention there and how big it is. Yeah. So you, if you just say the word Roswell, everybody knows, I think, what we're talking about. Roswell, New Mexico, the so-called UFO crash. And to get into that, and I don't know as much about that as I do about Shag Harbor, but I've read, I've read stuff. And whenever I see something on look article, I'll, I'll, you know, look it over. Um, whatever it was that went down in that farmer's field, um, apparently they would swear that it was definitely a flying saucer. It had metal that was not of this earth that would do, had different properties that they couldn't explain. And then within hours, I guess the U.S. military came in and kind of shut the whole place down and they just said it was a, 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 an air balloon or a, yeah, an air balloon, mm-hmm. weather balloon, sorry, weather balloon. right? Weather balloon. So anyway, the whole thing was hush-hush, but Roswell has certainly played that up. It really was an interesting mystery and Roswell has used it to their advantage to attract tourists and really let the public who are fascinated by that come to that site. And they hold a conference every year. They have signs on the highway, a green little green men waving, you know, greeting people coming and going. It's kind of the UFO capital of the world in one sense. And they hold a festival. And it's a four-day festival that attracts between ten and 14,000 people a year over those four days. That's not including just folks who make it part of their summertime destination or they want to travel there just to say, hey, I've been to Roswell, New Mexico, and, and looked around. Um, so they definitely play it up, and people love going there, and there's people that have been there many times. And and their conference, their uh, festival they have is hugely successful, and that's their claim to fame, right? Puts and them on the map. brings in yeah. big money. Oh, well, huge it, money, of course. It's a tourism right? industry in yeah. and of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I jotted down some quick notes that Roswell, their UFO festival in July, thousands of people come to it, uh, Area 51 in Nevada, uh, a small industry of UFO and alien-themed businesses, uh, like the extraterrestrial highway that they have there. Yeah. Of course, uh, Area 51, it's, you, you can't go there. Right. <laughs> Off-site, top secret. Yeah, exactly. But here in Shag Harbor, you're literally, during this UFO expo that we're going to be talking about in more detail now, you can literally get on a bus and tour that area. Yeah, so that's one of the big things. So the festival that we're planning, I mean, our big claim to fame is we still have witnesses that were there that night alive and are going to be present. All the guest speakers we have coming in, it's going to be beyond just what happened in Shag Harbor, and we'll get into that as well. But for those that are fascinated, and in that, that alone, I think is worthwhile to go and check out, makes it worth uh, attending the festival that we're having, the expo that we're going to have. But to your point, Wade, yeah, so the second day, we're actually, we've chartered buses. We're going to take people down by bus to the actual crash site, and they can listen to witnesses who were there that night and stand on the shoreline and see the hill that they drove up over and get a feel for exactly what happened, where the craft was, how far in the water the craft was. Um, really get a sense of how how and what took place. And again, for me, I've been involved with this for about five years. And I honestly, big kid that I am, I still get goosebumps standing there every time I hear the stories being retold because it makes you wonder. Again, I said this earlier, but I, a lady kind of cornered me at one of our smaller events and she said, Danny, like, I hear those flares. I hear that's all it was. And they were kind of embarrassed that they reported a craft down and it just, they didn't want to recant that story. What do you think about that? And I said, well, I respectfully disagree because there was 30 people on the shoreline and you had three RCMP officers and you had the two guys who were with natural resources that were found later and questioned and interviewed. They all saw it. And what they saw was not a flare. And it was a craft. It had lights. It went down. It went in the water. The Coast Guard, the Canadian uh, Navy, the U.S. Navy were on site within a day or so. 
So again, that's what's cool about sailing right there on the shoreline. You can really get a feel for what happened. You know that it did happen and you know that nothing was ever recovered. Um, I'll say this, my mother-in-law, she, she's kind of into it, which again is surprising how many people are into it or at the very least fascinated by it. And she said to me, which was kind of a cool, innocent question, she said, Danny, did they ever prove that it was an alien? And I said, well, Joan, if they had, (laughs) it's a mystery over, right? (laughs) So I said, no, they didn't. But I said, you know, what's neat is I said, I guess they never proved that it wasn't. And I said, that in itself is what's so intriguing. And I I guess I've said that a few times, but therein lies the mystery. There is no uh, knowing of what really happened that night. So you can let your imagination run wild. And the fact that something did happen and it's, you know, so many witnesses, and you could call it professional witnesses with the RCMP and so on, and even fishermen. They know what they're seeing out there. And the two guys, actually, it was in the, five people were in the Pan Am airplane cargo jet. They saw the craft the night before, and they're professional witnesses. They've seen flares. They've seen moon eclipses. They've seen, you know, reflections and this and that. Their story just by itself is fascinating as heck, that they saw something. It's a craft they just absolutely could not explain, and it matches exactly what the craft was that crashed in Shag Harbor. And I'm getting goosebumps as I'm telling you that now, but it's just a really cool story. So anybody coming to the expo beyond any other UFO expos or conferences you can take in, you don't get to physically go to the site where it happened and hear the stories that way. And that's what we're going to bring to the public who attend our our conference this year. To me, uh, the lack of explanation adds to the appeal or the excitement. That's that's part of it. It's that sense of wonder. It's a sense of unknown, right? Think about how many billions of galaxies are out there and how many billions of stars are within each galaxy and how many planets can be circling each of those stars. And Every year, we're just discovering that there's just way beyond what we ever imagined there is, is out there. Another uh, thing we did a few weeks ago, they said, you know, it's just the laws of probability as far as life on other planets. So that doesn't mean intelligent life, and that doesn't mean people flying crafts here, <laughs> crashing them into Shag Harbor. But if you really let your imagination, logical imagination, just run wild, the probability is there. And it's just so darn cool. And I've had that sense right from age four or five and up. So how did you get involved in the first place? What led you to really get involved? Yeah, so that's a really cool question, I guess. And for me, I'll try to make it, make it a short story. But I, I grew up in Digby, so not too far from Shag Harbor. And same as you, I'd always heard about the Shag Harbor event, the Roswell event, all these different things and kind of knew of them, but never really studied them, never really got into it. And almost embarrassing, but I honestly didn't really know where Shag Harbor was in Nova Scotia. I just knew Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia. But I moved to Yarmouth about seven years ago, and my job takes me between Yarmouth and Barrington. And of course, lo and behold, driving down, boom, Shag Harbor sign. I'm like, that's where Shag Harbor is. So that's where the incident was. I'm talking to you know my now wife, and she said, oh yeah, they have a festival every year. And I got kind of excited, like a UFO festival. Neat. I want to, you know, want to go down to that. So a bit of bad luck in that the weekend that they hold it, we also have a weekend, something to do with work, that same weekend every year. So I lived here two or three years and never did go down. Unfortunately, I was kind of missing out. But one summer, I was driving by and I had a bit of time at work. It was a slow day and I pulled off the highway and I said, I'm going to go by Shag Harbor. I want to see exactly where that is. And when you drive through Shag Harbor on the old road, there's an actual little commemorative site. There's signs in that so you know where the crash happened. And then just down the road from that is a museum. So I went into the uh, UFO museum, the Shag Harbor Incident Society Museum, and I bought a couple books. And that's when I really got intrigued. And I said, there's no way they're going to have another festival and I'm not going to go down. So I did. 
So I went down, and I honestly thought this place would be packed. I left work early, went down, and I was sort of, I won't say disappointed, but maybe I can say that, but I was just surprised that there was only about five or six cars there for what I thought was such a unique, cool event. And that happened to be the same year that they minted a Shag Harbor coin. Right. Just by coincidence, okay? So I heard about the coin, um, wanted to buy a coin, and went down an hour early to get in line, which I thought would be a long lineup for this coin. A uh, little history, a little backstory on the coin. The coin had already sold out online, and they only had so many coins allotted to the Shag Harbor event to sell that night. So I knew that. So... I was going to go down. I also found out that it was the fastest selling coin the Canadian coin had ever minted, not just in the UFO series. There was a series, I think there's five coins that have come out. This was the second in the series. But the Shag Harbor one was the fastest selling coin that they had ever minted. Hockey players, Terry Fox, whatever. So there is a lot of interest in it. So knowing all that, I thought, I got to leave work early. I got to run home, make supper, (laughs) make a sandwich for supper as I do and get down there. And I want to be in line and make sure I get a coin. Well, I pulled into the Woods Harbor Hall, and I kid you not, there was maybe three, four cars. And I thought, this this can't even be the place, but it was the place. So I easily got a coin, got talking to Lori Wickens, who was one of the witnesses, got talking to Chris Stiles, who was the researcher, one of the authors, and stayed that evening and, and stayed for their event. And I was just, I guess, fascinated, maybe a bit starstruck, that I could actually sit there and talk to Chris, the guy who had written the two books that I read. And I'm sitting there talking to Lori Wickens, who was one of the key witnesses. And Lori said, you know, Dan, you should join our society. And I said, well, like, yeah, like, how do you do that? It's like asking me to join NASA, right? How do you do that? So, well, how do you do that, Lori? He said, well, it's $10. I'm like, okay, buddy, I'm in. And I took 10 bucks out of my wallet, slapped it on the table. And I said, no, like, yeah, I want in. Like, this is just such a cool thing. And I went to a few meetings after that. He would give me a call and say, we're having a board meeting, Dan. Come on down if you want. And I did. And again, from reading the books, from seeing what happened that night of the coin unveiling, and from honest to goodness getting goosebumps from hearing these stories, the wheels are kind of turning in my head. I'm thinking, why is this not a bigger deal? So I got talking to Lori and got talking to Chris, and I said, you know, I don't see why this isn't a much bigger event. And then, to be honest, the museum isn't the most grandest thing in the world. It's just a, an old house. It's a yellow building. It's only open during the summer when they have a student to, to work there. It's a little musty, if I can say that, but it is, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, learning about it, this really is Candace Roswell, if not more. And why aren't we doing something on a grander scale? And why don't we have more of a world-class destination for people to come and see? Because I think it's worthy of that. It was worthy of that to me, and I wasn't disappointed with what I got to learn and what I got to see, but I just thought, like, we're really missing the boat here. This could be something quite huge. And talking to Lori, talking to Chris, I heard from, I guess, one of the local politicians, and I won't say who, apparently when the Blue Nose used to run, people getting off the Blue Nose, they would ask one of two things. They would say, where's Peggy's Cove? And where is Shag Harbor? Really? Yeah. And you think about the amount of attention Peggy's Cove gets. And it should. It's a beautiful place. But the amount of money it gets and the amount of tourists it draws to the area. Very photogenic, very cool. But, you know, for us, it's just a lighthouse. Regular lighthouses, Cape Four Shoes, I think every bit as cool as that. And we have a great lighthouse in Digby. Um, But there's Peggy's Cove, and they really make something of it. And it attracts a lot of people. And again, it should. And the Blue Nose, of course, has has its thing. But I think Shag Harbor... The incident that happened there is right up there with those, with that niche market and the people that are fascinated by it. Now, 
you know, I have a day job and I wear a shirt and tie every every day to work. And, you know, I wouldn't say I believe in UFOs, but I absolutely wouldn't say that I'm not intrigued and fascinated. What keeps me interested is the fact that I don't know. It's unknown. And the fact that it might be real keeps me going back every time, right? So I think there's a lot of people like me. So that's my long answer. But how I got involved is a number of factors. One that I thought, you know, this event you have could certainly be grown to be kind of a more polished, grander event that I think would make it even more interesting for people. I think the town of Barrington, the communities of Barrington and Yarmouth were kind of missing out on what a great opportunity we have to draw people to our area. And if any event was going to be put on or any destination was going to be made of the of this location, it really truly should be a world-class destination that anybody going to would say that was absolutely one of the highlights of our vacation this year. What a cool thing. What a cool story. Um, and it is that, but I think there's just another level that that whole thing can be brought to. And I'm working with Lori, with Chris, and the rest of the members to kind of elevate it. We hope to get it to that level. Um, I'll compare it to the Warfrat Rally again growing up in Digby. I, I know the guy. I went to school with him who started that, and that's really become quite a thing for bikers. And you mean being a non-biker, I go and I, I have fun every year. I take it in when it's been on. COVID has thrown a wrench into things lately. But, um, you know, what a neat event that is. And now it's become their almost claim to fame for Digby, right? Along with the other events they have. But there's no reason, I don't think at all, that we can't turn the Shag Harbor event into an annual destination location for people that are into that mystery of the whole UFO phenomenon. And with what's come out on CNN again lately, you know, even five years ago, um, different people I've talked to, it's really been in the last couple of years that the U.S. Pentagon, they're admitting that they're seeing these craft buzzing their aircraft carriers and their pilots are seeing these things, these tic-tac objects, and they go in and out of the water and nothing can do that. And there's U.S. congressmen that are saying these are crafts not of this world. So they're not calling them aliens, but they're on the record saying that. Other folks are saying, I would be more comfortable with this being an alien rather than being China or Russia. Because if it's China or Russia, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like, who's got that technology? Is it drones? And if it is drones, again, like, who's drones? And boy, we're in trouble because we have nothing that can do what those craft crafts are doing. Again, that just heightens the mystery. And if this is, apparently has been going on for years and just has been kind of like shoved in the closet, no one really is willing to admit that, that these things happen. Governments certainly aren't willing to admit it. And this happened back in 67 in Shag Harbor. It's just more of that mystery. So we had one happen right here on our doorstep. We're building a tourism industry here. We have amazing experiences because of our natural resources. We have we have anything you, you want if you want to do the outdoor experience. But we have so much more than that. You, you mentioned the fact of, you know, Cape Fourchoux is as beautiful, if not more beautiful, forgive me anybody who disagrees, <laughs> with uh, as Peggy's Cove. Now, we've always had this, but now we have an opportunity to take this and turn it into something again. And you're doing this. You always try to make it close to when it actually happened. It happened October 4th, 1967. Right. So in this case, for this particular year, it's October 1st and 2nd. Perfect time to be here. It's a great time of year. I, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's the most beautiful weather we have of the year, right? Late fall is beautiful in western Nova Scotia. Absolutely the best. Leaves are out. Um, there's no bugs, 
right? Mm-hmm. There's no, the fog is, is reduced a bit. Clear, cool nights and warm, sunny days. Um, again, the more I got thinking about this, I thought, you know, if you're a tourist and you're going to visit southwest Nova Scotia, wherever you're from, even Halifax, it's just a beautiful time of year to be here. The hotels aren't packed up, booked, so you're not going to have an issue trying to find a place to stay. The roads aren't overly heavy with traffic. Um, it's a great time of year to visit. That's the time of the year that the event was held. So again, even standing there that day, you can envision how it played out that evening. Um, I think the pieces just find out naturally fall into place. And it makes for a really great opportunity for us. And I think it makes for an awesome opportunity for anybody taking in the event. Now, we've talked all this time. We haven't really talked specifics. Not Let's yet. talk specifics. Let's Tom, tell me about the UFO XPO, the Expo. Expo, right on. Okay, so they've had the biggest event they had up until now was their 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, they brought down some pretty high-profile speakers. They had a bit of, they got a grant from the government. They did some TV advertising. So they got about 150 people, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's a shame that doesn't happen every year. Right. And I think it should and I think it could, okay? So this is only, it's the 55th anniversary this year, but that's just because we had to put this on hold for the last two years because of COVID. So once I got involved a year, a couple of years ago, we were planning this um, back in 2020, fall of 2020. But Chris Stiles, the author from Halifax, who's done all the research on this, and he's done many UFO conferences down in the U.S. He's invited to speak at many events. So these other speakers that he's contacted that were coming up, he personally knows them. He's the one that sent out the invitation. So we're bringing in five world-renowned UFOologists from the U.S., along with Chris Stiles from Halifax. Probably the most high profile is Nick Pope. And when I say that name, um, you see him on the TV show Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. So again, my mother-in-law knows who Nick Pope is. She's like, wow, you're bringing Nick Pope in? I'm like, yeah, so like bringing Tiger Woods in if you're a golf fan, right, to a golf tournament or a charity golf thing. So we've got, we've got Nick Pope, we've got David, David Marler, we've got Chris Stiles from Halifax, we've got Debbie Ziegelmeyer, Ryan Sprague, and Rob Zwitek. These six speakers, they're not at all just going to speak, speak about Shag Harbor. Chris is going to cover the Shag Harbor event. But the other ones, uh, Debbie Ziegelmeyer, I'm actually just reading her book now. She's into the theory of UFOs inhabiting the world's waterways. And that's fascinating unto itself. And I was kind of skeptical about that, I guess, as a lot of people would be about the whole UFO phenomenon. But I listened to one of her podcasts. And I'm like, you know what? This is like fascinating on every level, same as the Shake Harbor event and the Roswell event. So I'm fascinated and curious to hear her speak. There's another one that's going to cover off the triangle orbs that are the orbs and the triangle things that people see. So it is going to cover the whole UFO spectrum. The way we've set the expo up is it's a two-day event. It's going to be held at the Yarmouth Grand Hotel on Saturday. There's seating for 400 uh, and that's it. We're going to have a conference-type event from 9 in the morning till about 6 that evening with a lunch break and a supper break. What also makes it fascinating is after each speaker gets up and makes their presentation, we're going to have about an hour and a half Q&A session with those speakers that evening. So if you've bought a ticket, you're sitting in the audience, you can put your hand up and say, hey, Nick, I got a question for you. I saw your show the other day or I read your book. Um, As Chris would say, it isn't only for those who believe in it. He said, I enjoy questions for people who don't believe in it. Like, what about this? Couldn't this be explained by that? Because they welcome that. They've researched it. They're into it. Um, Hopefully they have all the answers. And it'll be just fascinating just to sit there and do that. And again, 
you know, I, I have a bit of a golf background, but for me, that'd be the same as getting to go to a tournament, watch Tiger Woods play golf. And I can sit in a relatively intimate environment after the fact and ask him questions about his game. Well, that's what we're going to get to do at this UFO Expo with these speakers. So that's Saturday's agenda. Mm-hmm. Sunday, we've got chartered buses rented. They'll be leaving from the Grand. The bus seating is only about 150, so that's limited. So the first 150 ticket buyers can get in on that if they want to partake on Sunday. Um, again, we're going to bust people down to the actual crash site. We're going to have people on the buses narrating, kind of explaining where we're going to how events played out that evening, and you'll have actual witnesses at the site to talk to, pick their brains, ask questions, really get a sense of what happened that evening. Um, We're also going to uh, Back Row Point, I believe, and another site, and the name is, it shouldn't slip my mind, but it is, but it's a secret U.S. military base that is down in Shelburne. And again, sorry, I apologize for not having the name on the tip of my tongue, but that also is tied into the Shag Harbor event. And even the mystery behind that site is somewhat interesting. So we're going to bust people down to those places that day on Sunday with a lunch break and hear the story and hear how the, all the pieces come together. Um, and then we'll bring them back to the Grand, and that's, that's the expo. But it's every bit as interesting as, as other conferences you'd find, with the exception of we think we offer a tad more by the fact that you can actually go to the physical site which is pretty, pretty neat. So that's, yeah, Saturday, October 1st, um, Sunday, October 2nd. We have a website. I'll throw that out now. So we have tickets for sale now through Eventbrite. You can go online, the website, get your tickets, look at the packages that are available. The website is shagharborufoexpo.com. And Expo on the website is spelled E-X-P-O. So shagharborufoexpo.com. We have an email address if anybody wants to email us with questions or, or information. That is ufoexpo at hotmail.com. That site is, the email address is also on the website. Um, that is spelled ufoxpo at hotmail.com. A little bit of pressure, I bet, because you're really going big guns this time through. You really want this to succeed because if it doesn't, it may be a problem moving forward. Yeah. So, I mean, the society is fairly small and the museum is a fairly modest place and they just don't have funding to put on an event like this year after year. It would, it would be a, a loss. It would lose money. So, yeah, it's costing quite a bit to fly these folks in from the U.S. We have to pay them to come up. We're putting them up in a hotel, renting the chartered buses. Actually, when we budgeted this two years ago, um, the whole budget's ramped up a lot because airline tickets, if anybody now is booking airline tickets, it's just kind of nuts. But we can't back down now. We can't back out. And even the bus is going to be more because of oil, gas, right? Oil, price of oil has gone up. So gas has gone up. Price of the bus in turn has, has increased. Um, having said all that, yeah, we want this to be, we need this to be a rather decent success. Again, I don't think it should be just a one-off. I think it should be, you know, a world-class event that is an annual event and that would look forward to coming back and they want to bring their friends back with them. That's really what we envision. If this whole thing goes bust this year, and we do have government support from the town of Yarmouth, the three local municipalities have been great and they've supported us. We've had a lot of support from Bay Ferries is going to give us some passes to uh, not auction off, but offer promotions and stuff. So everybody's kind of on board. Uh, Everybody is on board. But if it doesn't fly, excuse the pun if I can say that, if it doesn't fly this year, It'd be very hard to go back out and ask for more money again next year. And even if we did, 
and it didn't really take off again. Um, I guess we'll sort of have to put it on the back burner. But we hope to get support from from anyone that's hearing this, but from local people as well, that they will come check out our event. They'll buy a ticket, they'll attend, and I don't think they'll be disappointed at all. I think they'll walk away with goose bumps and they'll be thrilled. And the next year, we would like to expand on it, right? What can we do to really grow this, you know, whether it be that we have concerts along with it or whatever. But you really can open the doors to having a really neat festival and maybe expand it beyond just the two days. But we got to start somewhere. So we're starting this year with with that, a two-day festival that is certainly worthy of, of checking out if you're into it. And yeah, we hope it won't go bust. Well, Danny, best of luck. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And here's to a potential huge event that can come from this. It's a big event as it is, as you start things off. It is. I'll slip in. I mean, I did a, we had this on a TV interview and it was actually the the lady on TV sheet, but she said, this is the biggest UFO conference event ever in Atlanta, Canada. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And that kind of even surprised me, but that's what it is. We've never had these six speakers in one place right here. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a big deal. Cheers, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to find out more about the Expo and even maybe buy some tickets, visit shagharborufoexpo.com. That's shagharbor, H-A-R-B-O-U-R, U-F-O-E-X-P-O.com. Hey, maybe I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to Ignited. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you subscribed, shared us with a friend, and gave us a good review. And we'd love to hear from you. Our website is ignitedlantic.com. And my email is wade, W-A-D-E, at ignitedlantic.com. We'll talk again soon.